Welcome back to Red Cedar Radar. I know that we were gone last week. I was a little bit under the weather, but we're back and better than ever this week. Um, I have two special guests with me, Paul and Brendan, who both have been on the pod before in different capacities. Um, Today, we're going to break down everything MSU football. And then at the end of our episode, Paul's going to give kind of do a little bit of a throwback to March Madness and kind of talk through his March Madness predictions and kind of how everything shook out for him this year. Um, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. It's been a, it's been a fun week. Um, fortunately, it was a quiet news weekend, so we don't need to uh, worry <laughs> about that so much. But, uh, you know, it's been good. Had some uh, snowflakes in the air for May 1st, which is fun. So another, just another spring in Michigan. It's beautiful. Brendan, what about you? Uh, doing good. I mean, like Paul said, I mean, there's no news this weekend, really. I mean, it's kind of might, might be a good thing that we postponed it to this week. So now we can talk about all that notable news. Very true. My sickness was well timed. <laughs> okay, so I really, yeah. yeah, I know, yeah, I really want to get into stuff that's been happening with the transfer portal. Um, so first, let's talk Peyton Thorn. Entered the transfer portal. Um, there's not been too many details about, you know, his reasoning behind it all. He's kind of kept that quiet. Um, I don't know, whoever wants to start with their opinions on this decision by our last year's starting quarterback. Paul, how about I, you? I, I guess I'll go first. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there, there certainly is a lot of rumors out there about, you know, why he made the decision, um, you know, whether it be, you know, he was miffed that he wasn't, you know, automatically named the starting quarterback next fall, or, um, you know, maybe the quarterback competition wasn't going as well as he'd hoped, or maybe there was some sort of NIL situation, or maybe there was, you know, some sort of locker room drama. And, you know, I think that that's, that's just one of those things that we'll never know. And there's, there's probably tidbits of all of those things that might have some truth to them. Um, so that's really just kind of between him and his family. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, he did decide to transfer. And so um, it, it seems unlikely that he'll come back. I mean, we already had one player that put his name in and then and then pulled it back out in Chuck Brantley, which is is a good thing, I think. And I guess we'll talk about him a little bit later, probably. But, um, you know, as, as far as pain goes, um, I mean, honestly speaking, having seen the spring game, I think he was the leader. Um, I do expect that he was going to be the number one quarterback this fall. But I also saw some good things out of Noah Kim. And I think other people did as well. And, you know, by all accounts, that quarterback competition was very close. And I think there was definitely the risk or at least the possibility that we were going to see some split time in the fall. Um, that's honestly, that's what I thought was going to happen is that maybe we'd see, you know, a situation not unlike what we saw in Ann Arbor last year, where we had, you know, the established quarterback and Cade McNamara and then uh, almost splitting starts with the, the young up and up and comer um, that wound up winning the job in uh, J.J. McCarthy. Um, and, and of course, not to compare those those four players to each other, but I think the situation had the potential to play out that way. Um, and if you're a guy that started for two years, that's not fun. You feel like you've sort of, you know, done enough to earn that job. And, and also one thing that came out of the spring game is that Thorne had mentioned that he had been injured most of last year. And so, you know, does that play into some of his, you know, deficiencies last year? Probably. So... Um, so yeah, I can maybe see that, and, and, and that he would be frustrated and he obviously took a lot of heat from the fans as well. And that's never fun. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is at this point. So I don't know, Brandon, if you had any, any other comments to add to that. 
Yeah, I liked your comparison between Thorne and kind of last year, Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy over at uh over down in Ann Arbor, but I think Thorne's kind of going into business for himself. I think he he was a serviceable Big Ten quarterback. He wasn't great by by any means, but I think he was serviceable, especially in 2021. Obviously, last year struggled a lot with injuries. So I think he's just looking for a fresh start. I don't think it's anything really deeper than that. Uh, but yeah, so I think fresh start NIL money is obviously huge, but he can he's going to explore his options. His name has been linked to Auburn. Uh, so I just, you know, Thorne, I mean, it's not the biggest loss in the world, but any but at the very least, you're losing quarterback depth. Whether he would have started this year or not, at the very least, that's what you're losing is quarterback depth. Uh, but it's not like Michigan State has an awful backup in Noah Kim or even Kate Hauser can jump in. Uh, obviously, he's inexperienced, but I don't think it's the worst loss for Michigan State losing Thorne. And he could come back. I, I, I personally doubt it. I don't think he's going to withdraw his name, but there's still that possibility that he withdraws his name like Brantley did. Well, that was kind of my thought also, because Peyton Thorne, that news came in first, and I was kind of like, whoa, wasn't expecting it, but like, okay. We have some backups. There's been some competition already. Like, I think we'll be fine. The next one that we're going to talk about shocked me way more than Peyton Thorne. And maybe that was just me being naive about it all and not really knowing what was going on. But Keon Coleman also has entered his name into the transfer portal. Talk to me, Paul. We can start with you again a little bit about your thoughts on when that came through and if it was a shock to you or not, because it definitely was to me. I mean, both of those decisions were, and in all three, if we include Brantley, I, I didn't expect any of that. Um, I know there were a few other people that are more plugged into some more direct player level gossip that uh, knew something was brewing. I, I'm not one of those people, but yeah, I was very surprised that Coleman um, entered his name because he, he was very clearly going to be the number one receiver and frankly, the featured player on, you could argue the entire team. And so the fact that he's opting to leave uh, was very much a surprise. Um, and again, the reasons why he made that decision, I mean, ultimately he's making a decision that he feels is in his best interest, probably to go to the NFL draft. Um, and it's probably no more simple or complicated than that. And, and of course, a lot of things fit into that. Um, if he got a better NAL offer, so to speak, whether tampering was involved, I'm not sure any of that honestly matters. <laughs> like it's just the reality of college football these days. But yeah, that's a big surprise. And he is he is going to be harder to replace because I don't think we have another receiver with his skill set. You know, the, the combination of size and length and speed, that's tough to replace um, either on the roster or with the portal. So that that's that's going to be a big hit. I, I, that concerns so, me more than Thorne. Brendan, a question for you. You know, like we just saw with Brantley, he came back. And I know that there's been like tons of speculation about Coleman and with the Peyton Thorne decision, is that make him more likely to come back? What's your opinion on all of that kind of gossip that's been happening? Yeah, so an, uh, I guess a tool that other programs used to kind of get Keon out of East Lansing was, hey, Thorne, he's not a great quarterback. He can kind of tank his NF Keon's NFL draft stock because if you have an improved quarterback, good quarterback play can make a receiver look better. So that was kind of the argument for Keon entering the portal, portal and for him leaving Michigan State to go to another school, whatever it may be. Uh, will he come back after the Thorn news? It's a slim chance, I personally think, because it's it's just hard for Michigan State to compete head-on with the likes of LSU, USC, Tennessee, you name them. I mean, it's going to be hard for Michigan State to beat them NIL-wise because uh, all those programs have better quarterback play than Michigan State currently does right now. So in my opinion, I think Keon's gone. 
and he I, he was the biggest loss of this offseason so far, including some of the guys that have gone to the NFL draft, in my opinion, just because he's he's such a good athlete. Paul mentioned his size, his length, his speed. Uh, he can win jump balls with relative ease. So I think Keon's the biggest loss of this offseason for Michigan, Michigan State, assuming he goes to another program. Yeah, I would agree. And now I want to talk about Brantley. And I have an, a different type of question with this before we kind of break down his decision to go. And then, so obviously we know that he went <clears throat> kind of just a little while after the rest, the other two. Um, talk to me. And this is just kind of a question that I want to know your opinions about. What does that do to a team when someone decides to leave and then comes back? Do you think everyone just welcomes them with open arms or do you think there's a little bit of a change in the dynamic of things when someone does that? And this is just speculation. I'm just curious about what you both think. Yeah, I think it depends on the culture of the team that really just tests the culture of the team. If you have a, a team that's kind of on the brink, uh, maybe that'll put them over the edge. Like I remember Arizona state, I think it was last in the 2021 season that they had their quarterback enter the portal, Jane Daniels, it was, and the locker room was kind of torn apart. Coach was fired the next season. I mean, it was just chaos in, uh, at Arizona State. So, but it just tests the culture to me. It, like the team is greater than the player. That's what's tested when these players enter the transfer portal. Obviously, we saw on social media Sunday night when, the, when Thorne, Brantley, and Keon, after they all entered the portal, a lot of them took to social media. I saw Brule, Noah Kim. They posted, hey, Spartan fans, let's relax. We'll get this handled. Everything's going to be fine. I think that's a good testament to what Mel Tucker's building at Michigan State and the culture he has. So I think just en entering the portal, coming back, or withdrawing your name, I think that just really tests the culture. Paul, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with what Brendan said, and I, and I think it is going to be kind of case by case based on the exact dynamics and how that player is perceived by his teammates, um, what the exact situation was, why he left, why he decided to come back. And, and that really could run the gambit of a lot of different things. Um, I will note we did have one player, as I recall, that did the same thing last season, Ben, ben Van Subren. And he can't, he put his name in the portal, but then changed his mind and came back and wound up having a very productive senior year. So, you know, could Brantley do the same thing? I think that's certainly possible. Um, I would think that probably it's not going to be a major factor, but again, it just depends on the, the exact situation in the locker room, which is, is hard to say right now. Yeah, Connor Hayward did that too. He entered the portal, yeah. came back, and right. had very productive last season as a Spartan. So, I think you're right. It does. It does just depend. I just that was something that when I saw his announcement that he was coming back, I just wondered, you know, what those conversations are like uh, with his teammates. You know, obviously we'll never know. So overall, I just want to know your opinions on should people feel a, a sense of panic a little bit with those decisions? Where does that leave the team kind of without those two? And things kind of a little bit seemingly in turmoil, but I think it's calming down a little bit at, as we're recording now. But what is your opinion? Should fans panic? Well, I, I never advocate for fans panicking. <laughs> I think that, you know, well, if you're a Colorado fan, you might you might want to panic then. Um, but, you know, this situation, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a big Sunday, losing possibly your two best players on offense and one of your starters on defense, at least for a little while. That's a big deal. And so... The way I view it, like, you know, there, there's certainly a range of emotions between, you know, this is fine, you know, that this is fine, dog, 
Um, and, you know, MSU's football is dead. Like we're somewhere in the middle there, clearly. And, and I, I would lean more towards the, the less panic. Now, you know, if you were stock trading and you were looking at Michigan State's stock price, I think it went down a little bit. Um, and I think that's more due to Coleman, as we've discussed, than, than Thornton, I think, um, or Thorne, rather. I think we can, you know, kind of mitigate the loss of, of, of Peyton mostly. Coleman, that loss is harder to absorb. Um, but I mean, fundamentally, the team is going to be different in the fall than we expected. And most likely, that means it's going to be a little bit less talented. Now, that may or may not translate into fewer wins. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of speculation of, you know, how much is, you know, the loss of Coleman worth in wins and losses. And, you know, uh, you know, some folks are like, oh, this could turn an eight and five team into a five and 17 or an eight, eight and four to five and seven. I, I don't think the swing is that big. I mean, one player is not probably worth more than half a win at the most. Um, and I think, um, you know, Justin Thind actually over on, uh, 247, as I recall, you know, had some data that backed that up. I haven't studied it, so I can't really say. But um, but does the fact that MSU will need to play differently, there is a scenario where that might even be better. Like, that's a very optimistic take. But, like, you know, co college football is a weird game. That's, you know, you got 18 to 22-year-olds playing with a, an oblong ball that takes weird bounces. Things can happen. And, and frankly, stuff like injuries to other positions is probably going to be a bigger impact than it will be to losing one player. So don't panic. Yeah, I mean, if losing three players to the portal causes the fan base and maybe even within the program to hit the panic button, then you have depth issues. That's just the way it is. It goes beyond the transfer portal. That goes in high school recruiting too. So if if Michigan State fans are panicked, the program's panicking, then there's depth issues. You players at every single program have entered the portal this year. I mean, it happens all the time. Michigan's had starters. Alabama's had starters enter the portal. Georgia's had starters enter the portal. It happens. It's just what happens nowadays in college football. You can like it or not. It's just what happens. People go into business for themselves. So it's not time to panic for Michigan State. To me, this season, and also, trophies are won in the fall. They're not really won on May 1st or whenever the April 30th is when they enter the portal. So what happens on the field in the fall is the most important thing. And I think this year's a prove-it year for Mel Tucker. This year is the most important year of Mel Tucker's tenure because after an unexpected great season in 2021, winning 11 games, winning the Peach Bowl, then an unexpectedly uh, not-so-good season last year, 2022, they go 5-7, go and seven, lose to Michigan, lose to Ohio State, lose to Penn State. Can he find that happy medium? Can he establish some consistency? And which one was kind of like the fluke? I, I, I don't like to use the term fluke for an 11-win season, but which one's the normal? the normal season, I guess. So to me, it's not time to panic Michigan State. It's not. You kind of touched on what my next kind of point in question or topic of conversation was going to be. The culture of college sports has really changed with NIL and the transfer portal being used more. So many people that talk about it dislike the changes. They don't like kind of, as you mentioned, like people going into business for themselves. I feel like it's a really important piece of how things run over the past couple of years and definitely like definitely what we've seen this year. What are your guys' opinions on like this shift of culture that we've seen in college football since NIL has kind of picked up more? What are what do you think about it? Paul, yeah, on one side, on one side you can on. Yeah, one side you can say okay, I don't like these kids being able to control how much they're getting paid and use that as leverage to enter the transfer portal and then have schools competing 
to, I guess, recruit them out of their current school. I mean, I see that aspect of it, but also you can look at the other side and say, I don't think TCU would have made the national championship game or the college football playoff last year if it wasn't for the transfer portal. They recruited a ton of guys out of the portal. They had a first-year head coach last year. They made it all the way to the national championship game, won a, won a semifinal game as well against Michigan. So you can look at it both ways. I think it creates more parity in college football, the transfer portal does, but it puts a lot of pressure on the students, the student athletes, I should say, because they're being paid a lot of money. And if you're being paid money, you got to expect to be treated as an employee. Look at Deion Sanders. He's telling kids to get out of Colorado. if They're not good enough because he's paying because he, uh, their collective is paying them, paying the players. So if they're not performing, then they got to go. That's just the way it is nowadays. The players are being treated as employees. But they also kind of can see the benefits of it. They earn money. They can kind of use that as leverage, especially the best players to go to bigger programs and yeah, so I just think it's a new world of college football, good or bad. Yeah, and and I agree with all of those things. I, I think that in general, you know, the trans the kind of instant transfer rule once is, um, you know, it does cause an instability. But in general, it's fair. And you know, also with NIL, like you know, let, let's be honest, players have been getting paid a lot longer than just two years ago. Now it's, there's an official mechanism where kids can make money on. And I think the name image and likeness model is very fair. Um, but I, I also think we're in a little bit of a wild west phase now where things are not quite settled. The dust is not quite settled. And so um, it is a phase of instability, but you know, it kind of is what it is. Like, you know, this is the reality of the situation and you can complain about it, but at the end of the day that, you know, you got to deal with it. And so I, I do think that this will settle out. I kind of wonder if there's maybe more money in the system now that so from just kind of a, a pure economic standpoint, like at some point people are going to get tired of throwing money at these kids that haven't proven anything. And so I kind of wonder if that's going to settle down. Um, uh, but then ultimately I, I kind of like Tom Izzo's take on this, which is if he's asked about the portal or NIL, you know, his statement is, is it really better for the players? And I think it is generally positive for the players, but you know, for some kids it's not. Um, you know, the thought being that like, you know, having more freedom, having more choices is good, but having kind of unlimited freedom for an 18 year old is maybe not always good. So I think, you know, I think Tom's got some good points there that can be listened to, but I think ultimately we'll sort of find a happy medium where things kind of level out. And I, and I do think the playing field is more leveled and that's good for college football, quite frankly. So I think it's in general positive, but there'll, there'll be some rough patches here and there as we go. Just growing pains. Yeah, I agree with those takes. I feel like we saw very recently the growing pains and the instability and what that can do. And I think that brought out those, oh, this isn't good. I don't like this new setup feeling in a lot of people. But then when your team benefits from it and we bring in someone that is going to make a change and will be a good pickup, then you see the other side of the coin. And I feel like as with everything, everyone overreacts when it's something that isn't going the way that you want it to go. So I just was curious what your thoughts were on it. <clears throat> okay. So moving on, I want to talk about the spring game, which was a long time ago, but I was sick and, you know, whatever. So you both were there at the spring game and you kind of had your own duties and things to watch while um, you covered the game or the practice or whatever it was. Um, Brendan, I want to start with you. You Both of their articles that they wrote for Spartans Illustrated will be linked in the bio and we're going to kind of talk about some of the points that they put out after... Um, being there for the spring game, but I kind of just want an overview of your thoughts based off those articles. So, Brendan, you covered the defense. Give me some points from what you saw. 
Yeah, I thought uh, I thought the defensive line struggled a little bit. I thought during the two-minute drills and during the live scrimmaging, I thought the offensive line got a lot of good push, and Paul will probably touch on that. But in terms of players to watch out for this season who are going to contribute, uh, Avery Dunn, Brandon Wright along the defensive line, those two will be at defensive end a lot this season. Simeon Barrow, Maverick Hansen will be at defensive tackle. Those two guys will play a lot this year. Then uh, Texas A&M transfer to Miche Adelaide. He's, I, mean, I think he's going to play a lot. Um, he might be a starter, might rotate in with twos. Uh, so he's he's definitely an impact player to watch out for. Got to remember, he's still young. I think he's a redshirt freshman or maybe a redshirt sophomore. Not 100% sure, but he's still a young player. Uh, obviously, we didn't see some of the guys along the defensive line who were injured, like Chris Bogle. Uh, Jarrett Jackson, I believe, is injured. Zion Young. Uh, so didn't get the full picture of the defensive line, but those are just some names to watch out for. At linebacker, I think Cal Halliday had the best performance out of anyone on the field, offense or defense, uh, during the spring game. I mean, there was one play. Uh, he lit up a block, I think, by Taniel Hopper, and then he he pushed Hopper into Carter, who was running the football, and just destroyed the play. So uh, I like what I saw from Cal Halliday. I think he's going to be the leader of that defense, best player on that defense. But alongside him at linebacker, uh, Aaron Boulay's back. Uh, Jacoby Winman, he lined up in the two-minute drill. Uh, I think all, all the snaps of the two-minute drill that he participated in, he lined up at a at 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 a edge rusher. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he plays more outside linebacker or more edge rusher this season. Uh, so he saw time at a little bit of both. But when Winman's at edge rusher, I think you can expect to see Brule mix in at linebacker alongside Halliday. Uh, I thought Jordan Hall looked good. As well, he's a true freshman, four-star guy, so he's one to watch out for. I don't think he'll get a ton of time this year, but uh, he's definitely one for the future for Michigan State. Uh, obviously, some injuries. Darius Snow wasn't wasn't playing. Uh, Ma'ad Gott, he got injured during the uh, live scrimmage, so hopefully he, he's able to recover by the time the season starts or hopefully by fall camp. Uh, in terms of the secondary, obviously it was good that Brantley's now back on the team because MSU can use all the help that they can get at, uh, in the secondary at the cornerback position but Chester Kimbrough Justin White look to be the ones right now obviously Brantley is probably the best corner on the team but he was he didn't he didn't compete in uh in the live scrimmaging portion of the spring game uh, Angelo Gross is also a name to watch out for I really liked redshirt freshman Caleb Coley I think he's going to blossom into a, a really good player over the next couple of years uh as for safeties Malik Spencer played a lot of safety. Jaden Mangum is going to step into a bigger role this year. He's a sophomore now. I expect him to be top safety on the team this year. But the safety position is very young because Malik Spencer is a sophomore. Uh, Khalil Majid, who also had a lot of time at safety, I believe he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, so safety is a very young position. Obviously, Xavier Henderson's gone from last year. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys develop. Sorry. Anything that you did not like that you saw from the defense? Yeah, I don't want to say I was underwhelmed with the defensive line, but I think they have some work to do. Obviously, they weren't fully healthy, but like I said before, I think the offensive line kind of had control during the two-minute drills. The offense was able to do what it wanted to. Uh, In the two-minute drills, one was led by Thorne, one was led by Kim at quarterback. Both of them scored touchdowns. Uh, I think one was only five snaps, the other was six snaps. So uh, I don't want to say it was an easy drive, but I think the defensive line could put a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. I think that was something that 
I guess I, I don't want to say concerned, but was just something to note of during the spring game. Okay, and my last question, and you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but choose one player from the defense that's your most exciting player right now. I think it's Cal Halliday. I think he's the best player in the defense leader at the linebacker position. Uh, obviously, he's a junior now. I mean, so he's got plenty of experience, two years of experience. So I think Cal Halliday is definitely the best player in the defense player to watch this season. Okay, so moving on to offense, Paul, that was kind of your area to watch. Give me um, kind of a breakdown of what you saw, and then I'll ask you who your most exciting player is right now. Okay. Um, well, as, uh, as uh, Brendan, Brendan mentioned, we were uh, watching from up in the up in the press box, which was very much kind of controlled chaos uh, to watch down on the field. Um, and so I actually had to go back and rewatch the broadcast um, a couple of times, and I actually tried to, to chart plays, which was not super effective, but I think it did um, help me try to understand what I had thought I'd seen in real time. Um, but just to kind of go through, you know, briefly kind of position by position, and we already talked quite a bit about the quarterback position. And, you know, my take coming out of the spring game, you know, was very much that, um, you know, Peyton Thorn was the leader in the clubhouse. And I, I felt like he kind of played like it, like he sort of played like he was, you know, the, the horse at the front of the race that was just trying not to lose more or less. Um, but that, that sort of speaks to sort of his game manager type, you know, persona, which now doesn't really matter. Um, whereas Noah Kim, I think felt like, you know, the more, the more aggressive of the three, I think he also wound up playing the most snaps as it turned out. Um, and he sort of both had the most impressive plays on the day. He had a couple really nice throws, um, but he also was maybe the bigger risk taker. So it, he, he sort of felt like the quarterback that was sort of higher risk, but, you know, higher reward potentially long-term, which is why I thought that he wouldn't win the job, but he might still get some meaningful snaps. Um, now uh, we appear to be full on in Noah Kim season. So uh, he, he looks like the leader in the clubhouse to me uh, because we did see quite a bit from Caten Hauser. Um, I know he got a lot of buzz, but he honestly didn't get a lot of snaps with the first team offense. And, and he really, he looked like a freshman to me. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. He made a couple throws again to like a third string tight end against the, the third string defense. But like, you know, what does that really tell you? So, you know, I, I think there was some buzz that he had a really good first scrimmage. Um, you know, none of us saw that. So it's really hard to pin any sort of hopes or faith on something that we've never seen. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I don't doubt that he'll be a good quarterback eventually in his career, but he does look like he, he looks young, quite honestly. Um, so then the, the running backs, I think we, we honestly didn't see a lot of running backs. Like they, they seem to be more pass focused than run focused. Um, you know, coming in, I was most interested to see what Nathan Carter looked like. He again had a kind of a lot of buzz. And the weird thing was that in real time, as I was watching from the press box, my impression was that Carter had the best afternoon and he was the, the potential number one. But when I went back through and tried to chart the plays, um, that was not what I saw, which I thought was weird. And, and I don't know if Brent, if Brent, I might actually have to ask Brennan's opinion on this, because when I went through and charted it, you know, Berger, Jalen Berger, who came out with the first string offense in the, the, the sort of two minute drill, he actually looked like he put up the best stats to me um, based on what I could tell. And, and again, it's very kind of, you know, it's not as precise as I'd like to be, but, you know, doing the best you can to, to chart it. He seemed to have the best afternoon. Like he seemed to have several long runs and then, um, Jaron Mangum actually looked like the number two back to me. And again, he came out with a second string offense. So that kind of tracked. Um, now, will Carter, you know, look in more impressive in the fall as he gets more acclimated to the system? 
maybe so. I mean, we also saw Davion Prim and Jordan Simmons. They didn't get a lot of work, so that's kind of hard to evaluate. Um, but one thing I would note is that they did seem to incorporate uh, more uh, kind of throws to the running back out of the backfield as kind of checkdowns. Um, now, whether that was just a, a product of the somewhat strange format of the um, the event or not is hard to say, but that was maybe something to, to keep a, an eye out for. Um, now, speaking of uh, throwing the ball, the wide receiver position, um, Keon Coleman actually, he was on the sidelines, but I don't recall ever seeing him take a snap, certainly in any of the, the sort of scrimmage-like portion of the event, whether it was anything close to 11 on 11. Um, so that led you with uh, Trey Mosley, who is most likely going to be the number one receiver in the fall, uh, pending any additions from the portal. You know, he, he looked fine. I mean, I think Trey Mosley is sort of that, um, you know, kind of steady receiver. He's maybe underrated. He's solid. He's a solid Big Ten wide receiver. Is he ready to be the number one option? I, I kind of am concerned. I think he might be a little bit of a role. You know, he's got a little bit of role player in him. Like, um, you know, the um, he reminds me in a strange way of Gabe Brown on the basketball team, where Gabe was great as your third option and maybe not as good as your first option. Um, and that's, you know, that's that just is what it is. Um, and then beyond him, I think Christian Fitzpatrick and Montori Foster look like, you know, they both had a couple loud plays here or there. Those are probably the next two receivers on the depth chart. Um, there was a question before which one was number three. Um, and I think that, you know, I thought Fitzpatrick looked like he was taking more snaps, like he was a little higher on the depth chart, but um, other people had different opinions on that. Um, and then there's another veteran, Cade McDonald, that also appeared kind of strangely often with the number one offense. Um, and then there's a lot of young guys. There's a lot of there's a lot of receivers to choose from. Um, some of the younger guys include you know, Antonio Gates Jr. and, and Jerron Glover and uh, Tyrell Henry. Um, each of them had at least one catch. And, and then Antonio Gates had a couple of really nice plays, really nice uh, catches from Kim to end the scrimmage that were quite impressive. Um, and his dad, I believe, uh, you know, played in the Final Four and in the NFL. So, you know, that's better than not, I guess. Um, so it looks like there's there's potentially some talent in the wide receiver uh, position room, but it's, it's not a lot of tested, established talent, you know, and I, and I don't think we have another Keon Coleman that's that's hiding there somewhere that we just didn't see. Um, so we'll see if one of those players will emerge, uh, but it looks like it's wide receiver by committee uh, going forward. Um, and then I'll just to say a few things about tight ends. You know, I think MSU aspires to be a team that has, you know, a tight end that they use for both blocking and pass catching. You know, that's what they aspire to be. That's kind of the DNA of the program. Um, I, I don't know if we're really going to see that. I think we saw a little bit more of a finesse tight end operation is what I would describe it. I mean, Malik Carr is clearly the number one tight end. He's really the only returning tight end with any significant playing time. Um, he was out there a lot, but I think he's definitely still more of a pass catcher than a blocker. Um, the, as far as a blocking tight end, I did see Evan Morris out there, who I... He might even be a former walk-on. I would have to check that. Um, but he seemed to, in some of the run plays, he seemed to be out there more than often than not. Um, and then there's a lot of new players. Um, there's Tyrell Hopper that was the Boise State transfer that, um, as uh, Brendan mentioned, got blown up by Cal Halliday in one play, as I recall. There's Jalen Franklin, who was Wisconsin transfer. Um, there's a, a redshirt freshman named Michael Masunas. There's Jack Nickel, who's also a redshirt freshman. There's a four-star true freshman, Brendan Paracek. You know, we all saw them out there. We saw um, even a um, Norfolk State transfer, uh, 
Adamala Fallier, who all were, they all got kind of equal time, honestly speaking, but they all seemed like they were kind of in that mode of more of a pass catching tight end. So I, I don't know if we have that, you know, kind of what you fans would expect to see from a Michigan State tight end is, is a guy that can, you know, can block, but also can go out and catch a pass and get behind the defense and, you know, stretch the seam a bit. I don't know if we have that. Although I will say, I, I think that they utilized the tight end in some interesting formations. Like they were doing a lot of H-back formations with a tight end, much like they used to use uh, Connor Haywood. Um, again, they, they did try to use the tight ends quite a bit in the passing game. So they, they, we may see some more create, creative uses of the tight ends to maybe make use of the skill set that we have this year. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, and then finally, on the offensive line, um, it, it, it was pretty well established who your kind of first string, second string, third string is. And, you know, the first string is, is basically the players that all saw a reasonable amount of work last year. Um, and so it looked like that's going to be, you know, Baldwin, Duplain, Nick Samak at center, uh, Geno Vandemark was maybe the newcomer at right guard, and then Spencer Brown at right tackle. Um, and I, I, I looked that up real quick, and those, those five players have almost 3,000 combined snaps in 20, last year. So that's good. Um, but there's an, there's an old Judd Heathcote saying that the, uh, the good news is everybody's back, but then the bad news is also that everybody's back. So, um, you know, is this offensive line talented enough to, to play winning football in the Big Ten? I, I'm not sure. Um, there are some potential players behind them. I think um, maybe the most interesting player on the line is uh, there's a Juco transfer, Keyshawn Blackstock, who looked pretty good at left tackle. We could maybe see him more. Um, uh, we also had Evan Brunning, uh, Dallas Fincher was clearly the backup center, Kevin Wigerton, who's a sophomore, and um, Ethan Boyd at left tackle was the backup left tackle. We'll probably see a lot of, you know, I think the intention is to play seven or eight guys pretty uh, regularly on the offensive line as a rotation. So we'll see probably those, you know, some subset of those 10 guys rotate through pretty, um, pretty often. Um, and again, you know, I, I feel like it's been a while since we've really seen consistent offensive line play out of, out of the Spartans. You know, will we see it this year? I, I'm not sure. Um, but at least at least they seem healthy this year, which is um, not something we could have said last year, as I recall. So that's kind of the, the rundown from all the, the different. So out of all of those guys, pick one uh, that is the most exciting for you to watch, which might be difficult, but you can do it. Um, you know, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer on Antonio Gates Jr. Um, you know, we did see him very briefly at the end of the scrimmage. Um, I know that he had quite a bit of buzz when he, when he um, committed to the Spartans. So um, it's, it's kind of my uh, dark horse candidate for a breakout player with, you know, very little actual X and O knowledge of football. Uh, I'm going to go with Gates I love Jr. it. Why, Why not? With everything that's happened recently, I think an off-the-wall pick is okay for this. People give someone... Give the people someone else to kind of look into a little bit more. Okay. Any other things that you want to say about the spring game? I feel like those were really some comprehensive rundowns. And like I said, their articles are going to be linked in the bio um, wherever you're listening to the pod. So you can check those out, hopefully, and read a little bit more. But anything else you guys want to say at all about that? Yeah, another name that Paul mentioned was Jaron Mangum. He's the running back transfer from South Florida. Mm. I think he's a great con, great pickup, great contrast to what Berger brings to the table at the running back position and what Carter is going to bring to the table. I think he's like 20, 30 pounds heavier than the both of them. Uh, he's a big bruiser back. He can run over people on the defensive side. So 
I think Mangum's a really good running back, but obviously that a lot of that still falls on the offensive line. They got to improve. I happen to think they will this year. Obviously, no injury, not many injuries yet. Hopefully that stay, stays the same. I think Coach Cap, the offensive line coach for MSU, I think he's really confident in the group. And I think that because they haven't really pursued anyone too serious in the transfer portal yet at, at the offensive line position. I mean, if you're looking at who they're kind of trying to pursue in the transfer portal, looking at wide receiver and you're looking at the secondary. So I, I'm confident. I think the offensive line will improve this year. And in turn, I think Michigan State has a good balance of running backs that they can rely on in Berger, in Carter, and in Mangum. Anything from you, Paul? You know, I would agree with that. I think the the wide or the running back position is interesting, and I think they potentially have three good backs there. Um, I'll just comment that, uh, you know, Brandon and I, we went above and beyond a little bit. We also tried to scout the kickers and the punters um, before the uh, the event actually started. Um, there, there was only one of each, and I honestly, I forgot to write down their names. But the, the punter looked pretty good, as I recall. Um, he was booming some kicks. So he's, he's no Bryce Berenger, I don't think. But um, we saw some potential there. And uh, I, I, did we see any field goals? Field goal attempts, even in the I don't. That started, I think Rusnak was out there kicking. Stephen Rusnak, who's returning from last year, because yeah, yeah, MSU right. still has uh, a kicker and a punter that are still coming in in the summer from the transfer portal. So we'll kind of wait and see on that on those kind of battles there. But Eckley was the punter we saw. Uh, he was consistently punting the ball out like 40, 45 yards. So obviously he's not Behringer, but still not bad from what we saw on uh what was that April fifteenth a while ago. So. Yeah, I don't think punting is, like is is a big concern. I was just looking at your articles, and one of you, I think it was you, Brendan, had um, dropped in some tweets, and one of them was like, on this really sunny day in April, and I just like looked out the window a minute ago, and it's like disgusting and snowy today, so very different times, but I think that it was a really... should pick up this weekend. I the hope so. The weather should pick up this weekend, so. Um, I hope that that is a comprehensive enough of a rundown um, as far as football goes. I don't think you could find that anywhere else. Um, we'll have more football news to talk about, but right now I kind of want to turn things over to Paul for a second just to talk March Madness because any excuse to talk basketball, I'll jump on it. Um, tell me a little bit about how things shook out for you with your March Madness predictions, Paul, and kind of walk us through... <clears throat> excuse me, kind of walk us through a little bit about how you personally came out at the end of March Madness. Um, sure, Sydney. And um, I think this is my chance to flex a little bit was the, the comment that I made because uh, the last time I was um, a guest on the show, I went through my, my detailed bracket predictions with Sydney. Um, and as it turned out, I, um, I had kind of a, a dark horse pick of taking the number four seed Yukon Huskies out of the West region to win the whole tournament. Um, and as it turned out, they did. So I, I feel pretty good about that. I did win my office pool, so I got a little bit of, little bit of change in my pocket for that, which is always nice. Um, and I think I finished in the 99.9th percentile on ESPN. Um, so it's still like 15,000th place, but you know, I like 200 million or so. That's still pretty good. So, uh, so yeah, that was good. My uh, sort of math-based methodology worked pretty good. The, as I say, the West region, I almost pegged exactly, including getting Kansas uh, correctly predicting Kansas to go down to Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I, and, and I did change my pick slightly to what I discussed with you, Sydney, but I actually did have Gonzaga and uh, UConn in that, that regional final. So that, that region looked good for me. Um, 
you know, the, I had a couple teams that, you know, that was the only final four team I had, but there was some other teams I knocked out early that, that did go out early, like Arizona and Purdue, although they went out earlier than even I thought they would, you know, uh, I talked a lot about Purdue doing Purdue things and they did the most Purdue thing ever and losing to a 16 seed. Um, the, uh, you know, San Diego state was a team that I had mentioned as a potential sleeper. I just didn't really trust the mountain West. So I was very hesitant to take them as far as they went. Um, and as, as, as those that watched the tournament carefully might remember, you know, before, um, before San Diego state won their first game, there was talk about how the mountain West had lost like 10 or 15 or some, some obscene number of games straight in the tournament. Like they, they were on a very big losing streak. And then, you know, San Diego state, you know, went on a bit of a run there. So obviously, um, I did also pick Creighton as a sleeper in the, in the, I believe the South region that turned out to be true. Um, and then in, um, MSU's bracket in the, where were we, the East? Yes. In the East, um, you know, I had Tennessee going fairly far. I had, I, I had taken Florida Atlantic over Purdue, but they didn't, they clearly went farther than I suspected. And I did have MSU over Marquette. So I uh, did a, th a lot of things, right. I had Kentucky winning that bracket, which didn't work out for me. Um, unfortunately. And I, you know, but I had MSU stopping at the sweet 16. So really the only thing I didn't did that the math didn't really get right was Miami's run to the final four. I, I still had them going out in the first round, which I still think should have happened, but you know, you can't win them all. So, so yeah, I felt pretty good about that. Even though I just had one final four team, that was, uh, the math was more right than it was wrong this year, which is, is always something nice. that since I was sick, we never, or I never talked with anyone about was the whole AJ Hogard. Um, saga of having his name kind of thrown in and nobody knowing any opinions on that at all brendan i don't know whoever yeah, i wasn't i wasn't too shocked to see it uh, obviously he was quietly he didn't and officially announced it via social media until the following day we kind of all found out uh at the same time when the nba kind of released that list of of draft entrants so i wasn't too terribly shocked but i i also don't think he's really nba ready yet I think he'll really benefit from coming back uh, to be Michigan State's leader at the point guard position next season. So, Paul. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the way I view it, the the current model, where as a you know, as a college player, if you can declare for the draft and get basically a free interview, which is what this is, right? They're interviewing for a job, and you know, college kids should interview for jobs. That's a good thing. I think it's great, and I think that that's honestly the way he's kind of looking at. It. I mean, the way he sort of snuck his name in without anybody knowing and didn't announce it it seems more likely than not that he is not super serious about actually getting drafted this year. He's just trying to learn. And that's great. Like, I think more college players could do that if they have the chance, like that's great. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. I think it's a smart move. Um, and you know, Aikens is a, I don't know if we talked about him specifically, but um, you know, it's a little different situation. He's got a higher probability of, of maybe having a team fall in love with him and trying to draft him. I think most people don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it's not, is it 40, 60? Is it 30, 70, 20, 80? I don't know. But um, Hogarth is, I'd say, 90% if not higher percentage of coming back next year. Aikens, not as much, but you never know. I mean, a Aikens has got the athleticism that that can be a, a, a deal that can really change the game. But he's also only about 6'3", which is a little tr more problematic for the NBA. I think like with the hype that's surrounding the team for next year, having that additional feedback from both of them, <coughs> sorry, will just be an extra piece in Izzo's pocket going forward. And I'm excited to kind of see what shakes out with all of that. Anything else like really looking ahead for basketball that you want to say at all? 
I think really excited. Um, Paul, I'll just... go ahead, Paul. Oh, I, I'm still a little upset about the Kansas State loss. I just want to put it out there because I, I think uh, the path was clear to at least get to that final game. I mean, it, those games would have been toss-ups, and I'm still – I will forever be slightly hurt by that. I think that's a correct take, and I would agree. Sometimes, you know – I haven't thought about March Madness for a while, but every now and again when I see anything on Twitter, I'm a little bitter also, so I would agree with that. Anything from you, Brandon? Yeah, I think Michigan State fans have a right to be excited next year for a basketball season. I mean, they got a top five recruiting class coming in, a lot of guys coming back, including Tyson Walker, uh, hopefully A.J. Hogard, hopefully Jane Akins. Uh, so, yeah, the fans have a right to be excited, and, uh, yeah, I think I might just copy and paste Paul's March Madness bracket next next march so so that's good paul's giving me the thumbs up so i might do that it'll cost yep, you no but problem. he'll let you don't worry <laughs> well we, we can split some of the money i win from pools i'll give you a cut no problem only other thing i wanted to touch on sorry go ahead paul that, so go ahead well no i'll note that uh in the the um what would have been the 22 bracket i had uh, kentucky winning the national title and they got beat by st peter's in the first round so doesn't always work. Yeah, probably better than mine though. So, I didn't do I didn't do so hot. I picked Houston to win it all. I think they lost Sweet Sixteen, but yeah. So we'll see next year. Okay. The only other thing I wanted to say was apparently MSU baseball has been cleaning up these days. Um, I'm not a huge baseball fan. I'll admit that. I only go to watch baseball if there's hot dogs involved. But um, we have been having some really good um, coverage on the baseball team on Spartans Illustrated. Do any of you, either of you, have any points about how baseball has been doing? Have you been keeping up on that at all? Yeah, I will say, uh, Sydney, they do have hot dogs at the baseball game. We'll have to cough up a little bit of change, but they do have hot dogs there. Uh, I've been impressed with kind of the bats this year. Uh, Brock Friedenberg, who's big first baseman. I feel like every time I go to a game, he's hitting two home runs a game, so... He's been really good. They're coming off of a sweep against Northwestern, so I think they're second in the Big Ten right now, which is pretty impressive. So hopefully, hopefully they can continue that. Uh, I know they probably got to win the Big Ten tournament to make it to the NCAA tournament, but uh, yeah, really exciting time for Michigan State baseball. In my, and I don't know this for sure, but I feel like they have had a couple of low years as of recently. So it's nice to kind of see that pick back up and there be some more hype around that team. Paul, do you have anything to say about that at all? The baseball team? Um, not, not so much. I, I did get a chance a couple of years ago. I followed them more closely because I, I wanted the de facto uh, only colors writer for them. Um, so that was kind of my first ex exposure to Spartan baseball. I haven't followed them as closely, but I still do keep my eye on them a little bit. But um, I hope they can make the College World Series because that's kind of a fun event, which um, that was one of those things that I didn't understand at all like four or five years ago. And then when I read how the, how the tournament's structured, it's very fascinating to me because I love this. I love the structure of tournaments. So, Something um, else that I saw fun. that I thought was a positive, um, MSU Baseball's coach, was it? I think it was, was talking about fixing the flooding that always happens on those fields every single year multiple times. And it seems like, I can't remember what his comment was, but it was something like, this happens all the time and it shouldn't. And I agree. So that will be exciting if they can figure out something to do with that. I don't really know what they can do, but it seems like all of the time that whole area is completely flooded. So Mother Nature always wins. Right. The Red Cedar River is a little unpredictable, maybe, or very predictable, and they just don't do anything to change it. But whatever. Okay, guys, anything else that you want to say at all? Doesn't have to be baseball related. Anything in general? 
It's okay if not. I'm all good. Put you on the spot. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for joining and thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Red Cedar Radar. Radar. Let me just start over. Please subscribe to Red Cedar Radar wherever you listen. And we'll be back next week um, for more. Thanks. Bye.